Hey, good afternoon. Appreciate everybody who is joining us here on YouTube doing so. This is Power Mizzou Live. Going to bring Gerard Hamilton in in just a minute, as well as Tyler Mansfield to preview Mizzou, Tennessee this weekend. I am simply Gabe DeArmond getting the show off the ground here. And uh, if you guys are joining us live, want to welcome you to uh, add your comments, your questions, all that to the queue. We will get to them in the second half of the show, as we always do. The first thing we have to do is pay a bill or two. Let's create this uh, this scenario where you maybe mythically signed a new contract for $6 million this morning at your place of employment. And look, that's not quite enough money for you. So you need to save a little bit more. Where can you save money? You can save it on your insurance premiums, maybe. So uh, if you want to do that, you get in touch with James Carlton State Farm in Webster Groves, Missouri. He can take care of you if you live in Missouri or in Illinois. If you don't live in Missouri or Illinois, move to Missouri or Illinois. Get in touch with James at uh, carltoninsurance.net. You can get in touch with his team on the phone at 314-961-4800. And uh, just touch base with James. He just wants to, to take a shot, maybe try to save you a little money on your insurance. And even if he can't do that, if you get a quote from him and you uh, you mentioned that you heard about his, his agency on Power Mizzou or on this show, he's going to donate 20 bucks uh, for every quote he gives out to Missouri's NIL Collective. And... Uh, who knows? That may just be something that would come in handy for Missouri if they would want to compete with a team like maybe the one they're going to play this weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee, right? Uh, that is the Tennessee Volunteers just brought onto the screen. Gerard Hamilton, you guys know him, may not know Tyler Mansfield. He's in the middle. He's the publisher of VolReport.com on the Rivals Network, uh, covers Tennessee for us. And, um, Gerard, or I, I, I mean, Tyler, let's let's just start here, man. Sure, you've just been covering Tennessee a few months, and hey, good for you. You you joined up at a good time. I've got to imagine people, despite last weekend, are pretty happy in Knoxville. Yeah, I mean, I told people when I took the job, I was like, you know what? Since I've started, they haven't lost a game yet. And now they're losing one, obviously. Everybody's like, all right, it's over now, man. You can leave if you want to. But it's, it's been a fun season. I didn't expect them to be 8-1 and one at this point. I thought maybe mm -hmm. seven wins, you know, maybe one nine this year, might go 10. But, I mean, they can go 11-1 still. The Georgia loss, you know, it hurt them, obviously. But I think they're just fine. They'll bounce back. Missouri, obviously, they're a 20-point underdog. So we'll see what happens. But it's Neyland Stadium. Um, so we'll see. But I think it's been a great, great season so far and one we didn't expect to happen. Gerard, uh, we'll let you jump in. We'll go back and forth here. Um, we can start with the questions. Oh, yeah. you. I mean, I don't know. Comments, insults, oh. whatever you want to start with is cool. This is just – I mean, this is just an internet show. Nobody cares what we say. Well, uh, first thing I'm thinking about, we obviously know uh, Tennessee can put up points. They can put them up fast. But what I'm still thinking about is how this defense that's like kind of – it's pretty bad on the back line, how they held Levis to 98 yards and three interceptions. I mean – is that more so because the offense put up so much points and they could do something differently, or was it the defense actually kind of just getting him fooled? I think it's a mixture, too. You know, Tennessee's offense is obviously the, the spark of the team. They put up points like crazy. They snapped the ball within, you know, nine, ten seconds. But defensively, uh, they got playmakers, and they're veteran guys, but they struggle at times. And, I mean, Georgia game, we saw them struggle. They had their hands full there. Um, but the UK game, Kentucky couldn't score. 
But their offense isn't isn't very good either. Obviously, y'all saw that last week. Right. But Levis threw three picks. That's the quarterbacks played great that game. But usually throughout this year, we've harped on Tennessee's secondary many times because you know Anthony Richardson has had a subpar year and he was a Heisman type quarterback against Tennessee. I mean, he threw for tons of yards. Um, Jane Daniels, they shut him down. It's like each week they rotate around. I think the the most oppressing part of their defense is the quarterbacks, the secondary, um, safeties. The line is is solid, um, and that they've been good throughout the year. I think they're a good unit. They have a great defensive coordinator in Tim Banks, but they're a work in progress. The offense is like at level nine and a half. Defense is like six and a half on, on a good day. So it's – it's, it's hard to put into words because they can be good, but they just struggle at times. And you're like, well, the offense will score points. They'll be fine because defense can do enough, if, if that makes sense. Well, and as somebody that spent three years covering a team with Josh Heupel as the offensive coordinator, that offense kind of naturally makes your defense look worse. Because what Josh's deal here was always – if he got the first first down, I mean, his offense set records at Missouri and Drew Locke broke SEC records. And overall, it was very good. But there were games against better competition where if you don't get that first first down, you've gone three and out in 19 seconds. And all of a sudden your defense, I mean, your defense is on the field for 37 minutes a game because he doesn't care how long he keeps it. He just wants to score. I, I mean, he might score 60 points and he might have the ball for 18 minutes and that doesn't matter to him. So I think it statistically makes the defense just naturally look even worse than it is. I agree. And like you said, time possession isn't a big deal for Tennessee at all. Um, but if they're putting up 40 points and they allow 30, who cares? You know, exactly. Their offensive mind is 100%. I mean, obviously the, the, the defense wants to do well. They want to play well and put up, you know, nice stats and stuff, but. I mean, I've always said all year long, like, I want to pick them to win almost every game. I didn't pick them against Georgia or Bama. Uh, but you're, they, they go out and they move the ball quick. They start fast, which they have done most of the season, minus a couple games. They're going to score points. Uh, but if they allow 25 on a 50-point win, who cares, you know? Um, they're a work in progress, but the offense does enough, and that's the, the strong suit. And that's what's made them 8-1 at this point. Everybody's been talking about Jalen Hyatt. You know, he's been putting up the numbers. He obviously had the great, you know, big day versus Alabama. But Cedric Tillman, I feel like he's the he's really the guy. Um, and, and up here in Missouri, anytime I can relate something to the Chiefs, I will. So I heard this great analogy where somebody said um, Jalen is kind of like McCole Hardman. He can stretch the field, but he's not, you know, your typical great route runner. Or Cedric, he, I guess you can say he's a juju type guy. He's physical. He's big. He can use his hands and stuff like that. Can you kind of tell people more a little bit more about Cedric Tillman? Because I'm kind of more intrigued by him than, than Jalen Hyatt. Yeah, both are great players. And, I mean, Tillman is the guy. He's a, he's a veteran leader, a senior, leader of the wide receiver room. But he got hurt, and Hyatt steps in, and we knew he'd be good. Um, his assistant coach said in the offseason, this guy's going to be really good. And we've seen it. I mean, he's leading the nation in receiving. I mean, he's up there. He was leading last week. Now he's probably up there somewhere. I haven't looked this week. But great player. But Tillman, I mean, we saw Sparks early in the season where he's, you know, making big catches. He can run great routes. Um, he's on the field for almost every single snap. Um, great player. I mean, he's definitely an NFL guy. So is Hyatt. But Tillman's just that defense – excuse me. He's that veteran leader um, who makes big plays. And to have him back at the, towards the end of the season is big for Tennessee. He's still getting back into his normal groove. Um, hasn't put up big yardage yet. But he played well against Georgia for sure. Um, and – He's going to get better and better as he progresses through through his healing process. But 
Yeah, he's a he's a guy that Missouri will definitely have to cover. This might be a breakout game for him to get back into his rhythm. Uh, just depends. I know Mizzou has a good defense. Um, what do you have Hyatt and Tillman and Torch Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton and a couple others? Like Hooker could throw the ball down the field. Someone's gonna catch it. It just depends on who it's gonna be. <laughs> Uh, so I want to go a little more big picture here. I think the hope Missouri fans are clinging to for this game is Tennessee had this dream season going and it kind of crashed last weekend. They kind of ran into, okay, we're really good, but we may not be quite Georgia level good yet. And the hope is Tennessee just says, well, the goals are like, they might be shot now. I'll be honest, Tyler. I don't think the goals are shot. I think, I think actually, if Tennessee comes out and wins three games, they've got a pretty good shot to get back in that playoff. And the the worry for Missouri fans to me is Tennessee doesn't just need to win these games. They're bad teams they're playing. They need to win these games like 58-10. I mean, they don't just need to win. They need to make a statement. Josh Heupel could have put 80 on Missouri last year if he wanted to. If he has the chance to do it this year, I think he'll do it. Yeah, um, I think they went out, and I'll go ahead and say that 100%. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, but, I mean, it would be stunning if they don't. Yeah, and but they need to do it in a, a nice fashion. You know, like the Ball State, the Akron's, uh, the Kentuckys, you know, win by 30, you know, 35, you know, and show that, you know, you, you're mad about the Georgia loss. Obviously, they didn't lose bad to Georgia. I mean, they could have done a lot of things better. Um People didn't expect them to lose like they did in the fashion, but they can bounce back for sure. Get three big wins, and Michigan and Ohio State have to play each other, and they're two and three right now. I don't know that the playoff committee puts one of them in if they lose to the other. It just depends on what happens towards the end of the season. Um, I would put Tennessee at four right now over TCU, but you know they're nine and zero. I understand they have a Texas Tech win, but Tennessee's resume compared to theirs, Tennessee's much stronger, and there's five ranked wins there. Um, they beat LSU bad, and LSU just beat Bama, and now LSU's ranked in the top seven. So that balance is better than TCU's record does. So if I if I can jump in with one more, I, I want to ask you about that. So everything I've seen from the national media is if LSU wins out, they're going to win the SEC, and they're going to be the first two-loss team in the playoff. If LSU wins out, they've got two losses, and Tennessee has one. And one of LSU's two is 40-13 to 13 at home, to Tennessee. I don't care what title they win. Yeah. How do you put LSU in a playoff over Tennessee? I, I wouldn't do it. I don't see how you could. Uh, 40 to 13. And they were, they were never in the game. Brian Kelly admitted at halftime that he was being out coached by Josh Heifel. Said that on, on the ESPN broadcast. Um, yeah, Alabama game's big, but Tennessee also beat Alabama and they beat Florida and they beat LSU and Pittsburgh, which is they've kind of fallen off, but beat them too. And, and Kentucky blew them out. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think you can put Tennessee below LSU by any means. Um, the Vols just have to win out and do so in nice fashion and see what happens. I mean, really, they have everything to play for still. They're going to get a great bowl game no matter what. Obviously, they want the playoff. But we'll just see what happens. I mean, we're down to three weeks left and a lot of cards on the table. I'll be watching closely Michigan, Ohio State, everybody else to see what happens throughout the rest of the season to see where Tennessee could maybe end up. All right. My, my last thing is, but believe it or not, you know, people think that we can watch every game, every team, and we can't. So when, <laughs> when uh, Georgia and Tennessee was playing, I was writing, finishing up last week's work. But the score, 27-13, uh, 
Missouri held Georgia to their lowest amount at 26. What was so different? We already talked about Tennessee struggles. Like how did how were they able to do it? Was it Georgia not executing, or was was there something they could do to kind of scramble Georgia a little bit? I, from Tennessee's perspective, uh, I don't know what went wrong. I, actually, we, we do, but you're not sure how it happened. Do we expect the offense to still score? I know Georgia has the best defense in the country. They always have for years now under Kirby Smart. But Hinton Hooker is probably one of his worst games as a starting quarterback. Um, threw for less than 200 yards, no touchdowns. The run game couldn't get going. They couldn't start fast. Georgia's defense is just that good. And they knew what to do scheme-wise against Tennessee. Uh, Georgia, offensively, you know, Stetson Bennett had a great game. But still, Tennessee was able to hold them to less points. But I think Georgia figured out, well, if we're, we don't have to score that many, if they're not scoring that many, so we can just hold them defensively. And that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a great game plan. Not saying Tennessee didn't. It just didn't, didn't work out. And I think for Tennessee, they took that loss, you know, quickly. Even a post game, like, all right, yeah, it's a tough loss, but we're fine. You know, we'll bounce back from this. So disappointing for him for sure, but not the end of the world. And Georgia just, just played well. It's an like electric atmosphere. Not saying Neyland Stadium isn't. Neyland's awesome. But at Sanford Stadium, and they saw the open-air press box. I mean, you're sitting there just rocking. I mean, it was it was incredible. So Tennessee has a lot to learn from that game, but I think, you know, they're still, you know, they're 8-1. The, the wins they have show who they really are, and Georgia's just – in the country for a reason. Yeah. You're, you're talking about atmosphere and I'm actually, Gerard will be there for us. I won't be there. The only reason I'm, I kind of wish I was there. Like I've covered, I don't know, I think three games in Knoxville. And it was one of these places that I said, you know what? This is pretty cool, but like there's 30,000 empty seats because Tennessee sucks right now. Yeah. And so I've always wanted to see Neyland when it's what it can be with all the boats and 108,000 and all that. I think it'll be fun this weekend, um, you know, because obviously, hey, Missouri at 11 a.m. is not the biggest draw in Tennessee's schedule, but they're going to show up for this team because they've been waiting for this team for for 15 years now. I I just want to finish up with, again, Missouri fans know, know Josh uh, relatively well. You know, he was here, and I, I always tell the story – Josh had a weekly press conference and one time, you know, he got up and, and Josh, like he literally, he just doesn't have a personality that he shows anybody. Right. He takes pride in being boring. So he walks off the, off the podium one day and looks at me and another reporter and looks down and goes, hope you guys got a whole lot out of that. And, and, and so it, which he wasn't being a dick, like it was funny. I laughed, yeah. but, but my point is when Tennessee hired him, I thought, his personality is not going to work with these big Tennessee boosters, blah, blah, blah. And it's worked incredibly well. Like, why? Why Why has it worked? I think he's, he's so neutral, like you said. Like, his players have bought into that. Like, they could beat Kentucky 44-6 to and great win for our team tonight. Georgia game, disappointing loss. I mean, it's just like they're, they're <laughs> neutral. He, he does – I don't know. It just He's so candid. He doesn't smile. Uh, he does it a little bit. He, he likes to joke with the reporters, um, call us out at times. But he does a great job. And I think the players have bought into not just his system of playing football, but off the field too, and I guess how he handled himself with media and just their approach to, to how they play the season. I mean, I guess last year was a work in progress, 7-6 season, 4-4 four four in the league, and now you're 8-1 and 4-1. So, yeah, it's very unique approach. But, I mean, Tennessee fans have – after last year saying, oh, what we heard this guy for? Now they're like, all right, mm-hmm. this guy might have it going on. Because, I mean, he's setting records that, you know, people haven't set since, you know, 
kneeling back in the day. It's crazy. So mm-hmm. he's definitely not Jeremy Pruitt. He's definitely not Butch Jones. Um, he's a good coach for Tennessee, I think. Right. Bought it, bought it. That's that's like the nicest thing you can say about a Tennessee coach. He ain't Jeremy Pruitt. And he ain't Butch Jones. You know, and Derek right. Dooley. Um, but but okay. So last thing. Normally, I would say like give me the recipe for Tennessee winning this game. The recipe for Tennessee winning this game is just do something close to what they've done all year. So put on the other hat. It, like how off does Tennessee have to be? What has to happen to Tennessee for Missouri to have a chance to walk in there and actually have a shot at this? The offense will have to just be awful. I mean, yeah, worse than the Georgia game was, and they still put up, you know, 13 points with, <laughs> over that defense. Not saying Missouri has a bad defense. They have a solid defense, really good. But I just don't see them not getting back on track this week, scoring at least 35-plus. Um, I think Hooker will have a strong game. Um, receivers, I think Tillman, get back into his, his mode a little bit more. So with Hyatt. And the run game has been kind of uh, shaky um, last week. The UK game was great. So I think they'll get back on track, too. I just I see a fast start. I see a lot of points back on the board and being back to their recipe for success. All right, Tyler, appreciate you taking some time, man. Uh, we'll we'll catch up with you down the road. I appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon. All right, thanks. That's Tyler Mansfield, volreport.com. Uh, let him go and draw Nile. Keep going. If you again, if you guys have comments, questions, all that, put them in the in the stream. We will get to them. Um, so Gerard, let's let's start where we ended with Tyler. I mean, give me kind of the the way this is. I, I'm not even going to say upset. Give me the way Missouri goes into the fourth quarter here and has a shot at this. They'd have to win in the trenches. I mean, they'd have to borderline be dominant in the trenches like they were. Uh, I don't know if they was necessarily dominant, but they had a really good game versus Kentucky. Six sacks, 11 tackles for loss. That, that has to be going for them. Um, they can't have the penalties. The last couple of games, I mean, KAD and Ennis Rachel have been good, but KAD has had a pass interference uh on, on a couple of drives, and I want to say both of them led to a touchdown maybe. I definitely know in South Carolina, but they, they've got to cut down on that. And then uh, third downs. Like, I'm working on a story for you guys uh, now that's going to break down all the third downs from every Power 5 game that Missouri's played this year. And, you know, by passes, runs, kind of what happened, they've got to convert more than the league average, which is 42%. If they can't do that, it's a one-possession loss like at best, but versus this Tennessee team, it's looking like a 21-plus loss if they can't convert league average. So here's what it comes down to for me. If I tell you Missouri plays its best offensive game of the season, how many points does Missouri score? 27. Okay, I was going to say 21. So like best-case scenario, they go in there and get 21 out of their offense. I think the defense has to score to win this game. I think the defense might have to score twice to win this game. I mean, that's – I'm just being – and you hate to put that on the defense, but, like, I look at last week, and and I don't remember exactly what your grades were. I would say the defense played a B-plus game last last week, and it wasn't defense, good enough. It, yeah, it, it, I mean, a B-plus game wasn't good enough. I think the lowest may have been the secondary where I gave them B-minus, and that's – that's just technically because, you know, Kentucky made some great contested catches. There was a couple PIs. But it wasn't like, ah, the defense played bad. And this is what you've been talking about, you know, the whole season as far as playing perfect. Their worst game was allowing 21 points. And then all those bad breaks they got, 
and, and it was still only, you know, 21 points. It was still one possession loss. So this is a really good defense. I'm just worried about the tempo. Like that was the big talking point yesterday from uh, Blake Baker's uh, presser, just the tempo and think Tennessee is ranked 127th in time per possession with 26 yeah. minutes per game. That's not because they're not, they're punting they the ball. Care. Obviously right. they're, they're going fast. They're scoring fast. And now, you know, if, if Missouri's offense can't put together a drive or two, no 15 plays, 96 yards, like versus South Carolina, then Missouri's defense is going to go from really solid to, ah, to average yeah. to, you know, it doesn't know. You don't know. Yeah. Again, I, I watched Josh's offense for three years. Here's the entire key. The first play of the drive, you got to win. Because if you win that first play of the drive and you put them in second and 10 or second and 12, and they don't get that first first down, then you've got the ball back in 30 seconds. And then you get to start to lean on their defense. You get to run Cody Schrader at him 27 times and run a jet sweep and, and, and control the clock. If they get that first first down, then they roll, and and you're I, I mean you're in in a lot of trouble. Want to get, want to get to some of the questions that you guys have been asking, and, and David Carnell says, and and Gerard, I'm going to let you a- answer this first, even though I think I already know your answer based on on talking to Tyler Brew McCoy, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt. Who's the most important, and who's the the most paramount to stop? The most important is going to be Cedric Tillman. For a second, I almost said Jalen Hyatt because he can take the top off the defense, but I'm going to say Cedric Tillman because he's the possession the possession receiver. He's bigger than everybody, pretty much everybody on uh, Missouri secondary. Um, he's a good route runner. He uses his hands. And when you're talking about an up-tempo offense, you know, if you need a third and seven, third and nine or whatever, and you've got somebody you can go to, that's much more important than taking the deep shot because everybody knows that's coming. And so that's why they work so well. Uh, you you have to guard. You have to have a couple players guarding the back line, but then you got to have people underneath, or you know, who can man up. You know, the possession receiver. So it's probably Cedric Tillman. I, I'm going to take the opposite of you, and like Cedric Tillman is the number one receiver on this team coming into the year. He was the guy. Like literally, the first time I knew who Jalen Hyatt was was when he scored five touchdowns against Alabama. I knew who Cedric Tillman was before the season. I even knew who Brew McCoy was before the season. But here's why I say it's Hyatt. Because if Missouri's going to win this game, look, Tennessee is going to score points, but you have got to make them work for it. You've got to make them go on 9, 10, 11 play drives. And and the hope against an offense like this is if we make you run 9, 10, 11 plays, you're going to mess one up. Jalen Hyatt's the guy on this team that says, we don't need nine plays to score. We need one, right? And, and now I want to be clear, like Cedric Tillman is not slow. Cedric Tillman could score a 70-yard touchdown. It's just not as big a part of his game as at his is Jalen Hyatt. So I think, look, if you make them execute and Hooker has to be accurate and the line has to hold up against a pretty good Missouri pass rush and all that, maybe you have a chance. If you're doing this stuff where once each half Jalen Hyatt gets loose for a 70-yard touchdown, I mean, that's 14 points, and, and that's about all your offense can do. So I, I just think – with Missouri's offense, I think that the threat of the big play is so damaging uh, that that I would go Hyatt. But the problem is that they have Hyatt and they also have Tillman and they also have McCoy. And oh, by the way, they ran for 972,000 yards against Missouri last year. And I know everybody did, but still, it's it's got to be in the back of your mind. So One more thing I want to add to that, though, is with Cedric Tillman's size, You've seen, like we said, we've seen the pass interferences the last couple of weeks. 
big physical receiver like that, if they get beat, yep. you may see some type of holding or pass interference call because he's he's the probably the biggest receiver they've played this year off the yep. top of my head. So something hey, else. I'll, I'll take a defensive hold over seven points. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I get your point. I'm just saying that that may add up, though. Right. I, I, I hear you. Uh, Zay says Arkansas at home looking like Mizzou Super Bowl. I mean, it. Look, it's going to be two five and six teams, right? Arkansas's got they're five and four, but they got LSU and Ole Miss the next two weeks. Like, all likelihood is Arkansas comes in here five and six, and it's I I think I called the South Carolina Bowl like or South Carolina game like the Birmingham Bowl play in. No, that Mizzou Arkansas the Birmingham Bowl play in. Yeah, yeah, it's about right. And and also low key like that might be a game for Barry Odom's job in Fayetteville. You know, that defense is – that's not a good defense. They've struggled. Um, I, I wonder how hot the seat is. for. They're paying him $1.85 million a year. Which All right. Speaking like of – I, I know at some point you're going to talk about drinks. I mean, you had me cracking up when you when you were starting the intro. You had me cracking up. So I need you to address that. So let's get there. Steve Winder says, will the increase in budget for coaches allow drink to go hire an offensive coordinator? So my – thought process on this part of it changed this morning when I saw that contract because you know he kind of said he answered a question three weeks ago and said yeah I'd consider giving a play calling well and then everybody started hey what offensive coordinator can we get and it started to be like this foregone conclusion that he was going to hire an OC and I thought "Ah, Mike he just said he's open to it he didn't say he's going to do it that contract has an extra 1.1 million dollars for the coaching staff there's only one reason that's in there, right? To go hire an offensive coordinator. I mean, why this staff hasn't done enough to get a one, but well, I mean, let's be honest. The head coach hadn't done enough to get a $2 million raise. So maybe the staff has done enough to get a million dollar raise. But realistically, that extra money is for something. I'm not saying that he's been told you have to hire an offensive coordinator, but that money to me is the expectation is you're going to hire an offensive coordinator. All right. Oh, he probably should. He probably <laughs> he probably should. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gone back and forth on it. Um, but I, it it probably does free him up a little bit. Like, okay, I'm gonna go extreme here. If he's got an offensive coordinator who's worrying about half the game, does he? recognize the situation on Kentucky's third and one a little bit quicker and challenge that play last week. You know, I mean, that's the kind of thing people, and and I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not saying he didn't know the situation, but that's the kind of thing people are talking about where, Hey, it just frees you up to do the big picture stuff. If you have a guy that you know is in charge of that part. My question to that is, well, I was thinking two things before he told us, what was it, Tuesday, how, how the challenges go in, in college football. Yeah. My first thing was, doesn't he have somebody in the in the press box or something? Yeah, you know, oh, 100%. Like, hey, you know you need to do something. So that's when he said the officials would tell him, you know, we don't have an angle, although the TV clearly showed angles that, right. I don't know. So it, Well, well that, the other that part matter? of that is, like people on our board brought up, dude, Kentucky only had 21 seconds. How did the refs know that in 21 seconds that, like, there's not an angle? Would, would that have mattered, though, if he had an Maybe. OC? Um, like, Maybe. If they would just, if they would, yeah, if they would have just said, oh, we don't have an angle anyway, though. 
Right. Like I said, I'm just, I I, I'm, I'm just bringing up kind of a, a right. that particular play, maybe not, but like certain situations where like, okay. So in the Tennessee game, they're facing fourth and one and you know, like they, they waste a timeout because they run Tyler making out. If, if he's got another voice in the, on the offensive side of the ball, do they do something? Do they have a play ready to go? You know, that's the kind of thing people are talking about. I think more than, because I don't think it's fair to say Eli doesn't know how to the sequence of how to call plays or what to do. I, I don't believe that. So I think people are just saying, if you have an OC, it maybe takes a few things off your plate. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, so we've started talking about this, so let's talk about it. I want to know when I texted you last night and I said, yo, I think Drinkwitz's contract is going to pay him $6 million a year. Like, what was the first thing that went through your head? I want to see Gabe write a column. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what Gabe is really thinking about this. That's That was my first thoughts. Like, ah, is this spicy enough for you, Dave? I just, Gabe? Like, here's my thing. Who were they bidding against? What What's the leverage? Like, mm. I, I don't. They, they are going to spend $5.4 million more on football next year, just on the staff, than they did this year. Under his old contract that he had, if they had fired him at the end of next season, they owe him $5.6 million. Under this contract, if they fire him at the end of next season, they owe him $6 million, minimum. And that's even, that is if he gets a job the next day that pays him the same amount as the rest of his contract would be. That's if they owe none of the second part. They still owe him more money to fire him after next year today than they owed him yesterday or Friday or whatever. And what was the threat? Where's he going? I, you know, it's... Uh, you don't have to answer because he's going nowhere. Like He's not going nowhere, but I'm just saying, like, if this all goes bad, they might as well just take $100 bills and, like, get it on get lighted on fire that's my point is next year last thursday or last friday morning next year was viewed as a make or break year for missouri football like yo you got to be better right it's still the same like nothing's changed and they just said well we probably ought to give you two million dollars more i i don't and make it more expensive to fire you and I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. Like anytime you're negotiating a deal, there has to be some leverage. I mean, like, you know, you can come to me and say, Gabe, I, th I think I deserve more money and I'm going to go cool. Like, why do you deserve more money? You know, and you're going to tell me and I'm going to say, all right, like, do you like, is, is there somebody else that's willing to pay you more money? No, I just think I deserve it. Well, I mean, okay. But like, what's my motivation then to say, yeah, that makes sense. That's what happened. Right. I don't get it, man. I I don't know. I don't know. I, I just know I told you when uh when Adesha was sharing the pictures of Baker signing his extension and Drink was sitting there being all happy, I was just like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, he's happy for him, but it seems like he's much happier about something else. Well, and, and I know what this is. This is agents and coaches have somehow convinced athletic directors that if my contract doesn't have four years on it, no recruit is ever going to sign with me. 
I can't imagine there's ever been a recruit during an in-home visit that looks at coach says, coach, how long's your contract? Because guess what? Eli can still leave tomorrow if he wants to. I mean, it's going to cost him more money, but these contracts don't mean anything. And so why you, I don't know. I I don't get it. I just, it it doesn't make any sense from Missouri's side. I I don't know. There's, I mean, it's, there's a, like, sometimes you call somebody's bluff, right? I, I mean, if, if, if you're sitting and like, you look at a guy at the poker table and think, I don't know, man, that's a lot of money he just pushed in. Like, sometimes you say, I don't really believe you. And I don't know, maybe you'd be wrong, I guess, right? Maybe, maybe he'll flip two kings and you're, you're dead. But, I just can't even figure out what the move from Drinkwitz and Sexton would have been to go all in. I mean, what leverage is there? Arizona State's going to hire me? Colorado's? I mean, I, I don't know what they're they're bidding against themselves, and that's bad business. Yeah. I, so are you saying like Missouri? Are you, wait, who are you saying? Call Missouri, Missouri is bidding against the, Missouri. Like, there was no competitor. It was like Missouri said, hey, we just put $2 million in the pot. You know what? We're just going to put, even though you didn't raise us, we're just going to put $2 million more in the pot. Like there, there wasn't a threat that they were, if, if they had said, hey, you need to coach next year for $4 million. And if you're good next year, we'll talk about an extension. What's his alternative? Where's he going? So basically you're saying drink call their book because I, I feel like I'm getting confused. Is that correct? Well, that that might make more sense. I get. I just okay because I was just about to say. So you're saying your yeah. drink was like, ah, I think you only got ace high and not a straight or something, and, and just got the extra money from him. I I feel like yeah, I feel like we're maybe I maybe there wasn't a bluff. Maybe Missouri just said we just want to put some more money in the pot for you. Like we know you're winning the hand, but here, just take the money. I I don't know. I yeah. I like I'm screwing this analogy up, but I just. There was no competition. I don't know who was going to hire him if they didn't do Georgia Tech. Cool. You want the Georgia Tech job? Have fun, man. Like, I don't, I I don't Um, know. I don't get it. And and hey, like, don't get me wrong. It's good for us if this was a great move and Eli Drinkwitz becomes, I'm not saying he won't be good, but like, this doesn't make it any more likely that he's good. Like if he was going to be good making $6 million, he's going to be good making $4 million. And if he's good making $4 million, then you pay him, you know, but I just, I just don't understand paying him when not only are you still in a situation where you go into next year, like under pressure, I think today increased the pressure on him. Like I think now it's, Hey, we just gave you all this money for your staff and we gave you a $2 million raise and we did all this stuff. We expect it to happen now. I think there's more pressure on him to win now than there was three days ago. I mean, I guess. And I say that because going like maybe just for himself as a coach, you just stand on the Missouri part. Like Missouri gave you all of these resources and you still couldn't. Like, right. They don't, That's my point. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. From that, it, this is a yeah. here. Here is everything you have asked for and could possibly need. If it doesn't yeah. work, 
there ain't nowhere else to look. Yeah, okay. Yeah, from that standpoint, if another if he wasn't with Missouri anymore and another power five school of some importance was like, ah, maybe drink, and then you go back to his resume and see like Missouri gave you this, this, and that, and you still couldn't really do anything, wouldn't really look great. It feels like next year though is shaping up to be what this year was, was which is like, ah, you're not on the hot seat yet, but we're gonna have to see progress. Like it just feels like it's gonna be a deja vu. In a, in a way. And if it's the same year, that ain't good enough, man. It's just not. Not in year four. All right, let's finish up with these guys' questions and, and get about our days. Uh, Dan says, hate to be negative, if but if the defense ever says the hell with this, it's going to be this week. I had that worry at South Carolina, right? Um, I thought it could happen at South Carolina, and it didn't. But what Dan says is valid. I mean, I don't think it's impossible that Tennessee scores on its first two possessions and it's 14 nothing, and the defense goes, well, we got no shot now, right? That's very – If there's going to be a blowout, it's this week. I feel I feel something not necessarily weird or unfootball like what happened, but let's say uh, Missouri holds them to like a punt or two, those first couple right. possessions, but then quick three and outs from Missouri's offense. That's – that is when not the not uh the first two okay. drives be touchdowns because that would be on the defense. They'd feel like okay. right, we gotta make it up to ourselves. But if right. Missouri's offense, that's what it seems like the defense is competing. I against. got you. Missouri's defense is going against Missouri's offense and kind of looking at them like, all right, we kind of held the juggernaut down. What are yeah. you gonna do with it? Type of thing. Yeah. Um Kyle says if Drink does hire an OC, what current position coach is on the hot seat? Look, I don't like – like, I'm not trying to push guys out the door, but special teams and tight end haven't been real good, right? Um, And I, I just don't – I don't think it's good enough when they give you an extra million dollars if he were to say, okay, Bush Hamden's now going to be the OC and we're just going to give him this money. Like, I, that – I don't know. That doesn't seem like a correct use of the funds necessarily. Right, and maybe getting somebody who's not already in the in the room, in the maybe just some, yeah, just kind of switch it up. I mean, at this point, like if it's really the case of how you said of it gets more pressure, then you need to do something and kind of make a change and shake something up right. if you if that's true. And look, every year so far, like position coaches have left. Who knows what could happen? I mean, maybe DJ Smith gets a job, maybe Al Pogue gets a job, maybe Jacob Peeler. Who knows? Right, anything can happen. So. uh so we'll wait to see. Travis says, do we expect Drink to look at Brian Harson for OC? Yo, Gerard, you saw Brian Harson's offense. You want that? That the savior of your program? Oh no. Not a not a <laughs> not someone you gave a win to. I I said it uh whenever Harson got fired, what was that? Week nine? Did he get fired? Yeah, Maybe? it was yeah, a couple something, weeks ago. Yeah. Something like that. I just remember saying to somebody in the press box, like. I mean, Drink gave him the extra five weeks to, to to pack his stuff up because he probably should have been fired after week four. So I, it wouldn't be me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mizzou fan number seven says I like Mizzou's way to pay, willing to pay big money for their coach. Seems like they're committed to the program. And I want to be clear: that's part of what this contract is about. Is just showing college football. Yo, we're we're here. Like this is a real SEC program. We'll pay you way too much money to coach football, just like everybody else in this league will. says, I wish the buyout favored the school more. The buyout does favor the school if they get three years into the contract. 
if he's here in three years, that's when the buyout starts to favor the school. But the truth is, if he's here in three years, he's probably been good enough that you're not firing him and the buyout isn't a thing. So the the buyout short term does not favor Missouri. And, and that's my issue with it, to be quite honest. Um, What's the buyout after like two or three years? So it goes to two points something? Maybe. Well, no. So the buyout under the old contract went 5.6 and then 2.8. Now he was always going to either get fired or, or sign an extension or something before it reached that point. But now the way the buyout, it's really like, I literally had to have someone at Missouri read through the contract with me and explain it. Cause it's very confusing language, but the buyout now basically becomes when, whenever they fire him, they owe him 75% of the money left on the contract. The old contract was 70%. So, so that's, that's six million, so right? It actually went up. No, no. So right now the contract is worth over the next five years, it's worth six and a half million a year. So it's worth about thirty-two million dollars over the next five years. So if they fire him after next year, he will have twenty-six and a half million dollars left on his contract. They owe him seventy-five percent of that. So the buyout is somewhere around a little under twenty million. But the way this contract is written, the difference between this contract and most is most contracts would be written that they would owe him half of that money like within a month. So they would owe him, you know, $10 million or whatever in the first 30 days. This contract is written, they owe him $6 million in the first 30 days. That's why I got $6 million. And okay. then the rest of that money, that other $14 million, they owe it over the course of the next four years. But if he gets another job, what he gets paid at that job is subtracted from what Missouri owes him. So if he right. were to go get a job four years, $12 million, well, then Missouri actually only owes him $2 million more. And so that's why if they get a couple years down the road, the buyout is favorable toward Missouri. But they've got to get a couple years down the road. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I appreciate Drew jumping in here. He wants to know if you finished your burger from Sunday night. Oh man, I did the next day, and uh, it took a lot out of me. It, it kind of—I I don't be eating ground beef <laughs> like that as much, um, unless I go out. I, I've gotten to the ground turkey game, so when I ate that humongous burger, I was just like, "Man, I feel sluggish." We, so I, yeah, I finally we, did finish. We, we had a staff meeting to watch Chiefs Titans Sunday night, and Gerard had the biggest hamburger I've ever seen in my life. So yes, very little, much little inside, little inside joke on the show. So. All right, man. Um, look, I know you got interviews tonight. I got plenty of stuff. Uh, Drew actually, I think now has a story up on, I talked to Dennis Gates today about the signees. So it has been a ridiculously busy day that started when I woke up and saw Drinkwitz's contract in my inbox at 5.58 a.m. Uh, anything we didn't hit, man? Uh, no, you want to you wanna give everybody a sneak peek at your prediction? No, I want them to wait till Friday, man. I'm obviously picking Missouri to win. They know I'm the most positive guy around them. Obviously picking Missouri 52-3. This is the this is the week Brady Cook breaks out with seven touchdown passes, man. Oh, okay. Okay. Is that, that is, means, that, is that not the email you got? You know, <laughs> I just say for that to ever happen. First off, the all, whole offensive line would have to be all SEC first team selections. Yeah. That's what it have to be. And um, he would then have to, like, unzip his body and then to be Hendon Hooker or something. He'd have to be somebody else. 
All right. Well, uh, appreciate it, man. Um, I know you got, got stuff coming up tomorrow, so we'll let you roll and uh, we'll do this again. All right. Talk to you guys next time in what, Knoxville. So. Knoxville. Yeah. Hey, uh, I don't know what time you get into Knoxville, but Calhoun's Friday night. Good place. Calhoun's. Okay. Good, deal. Good meal. All right. Gerard Hamilton joining us. want to thank uh, Tyler Mansfield for hanging out with us, talking a little Tennessee. Went a little longer than usual. Had some comments, had a lot of things to talk about. Um, look, guys, it's, it's been a super busy day on the site, literally. We've got six stories up. Gerard's still going over to do uh, football interviews. I'm going to make a podcast out of this thing. I, this month, days like this, this is hopefully why all of you guys subscribe to the site because uh, we've covered it all. We started at 6 a.m. And, and we're going to be going the rest of the day. So uh, appreciate you hanging out with us. If you watch live, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, say good things about us. If you're listening on the podcast, which goes up shortly after this, leave us a nice review, share it on social media, do all of those good things that help more people know about what we're doing and also help more people know about James Carlton State Farm. Uh, he makes all of these shows possible, makes it worth our doing twice a week, all season long. Uh, you can find him at carltoninsurance.net. Call him at 314-961-4800. James's biggest thing is customer service. If you call him, you're going to get a real human being. They, they just want to work with you, get a shot to be your insurance agent. They understand, hey, it might not be the right fit, but they want to take a chance and, and see if maybe they can get you a better deal than you're getting right now. And what does it hurt you? I mean, call, see if you can save money. And if you can't save money, at least get a quote from him. Tell him you heard about it on Power Mizzou. He's going to donate $20 to Mizzou's NIL Collective. He's a big Mizzou fan, a supporter of the site. And uh, he wants Mizzou to do well. You guys want Mizzou to do well. It's a win-win. So get in touch with James. If your insurance costs an, a leg and an arm, James Carlton. State Farm is where you go. Appreciate it, guys. We'll talk to you later.